0: During the uh, Bible class hour, we were talking about just kind of some history of Ephesians. And um, uh, for those of you guys who have been here the last three weeks or last couple weeks, um, we've been taking a, uh, a stint through Ephesians 4 to just talk about uh, the church and uh, uh, the passage in Ephesians 4. Talks about leadership in the church and how the body works together and um, all the working parts and how uh, we as members of the church work together to uh as a church builds itself up. And so um this morning um I'm gonna complete uh chapter four in verses uh twenty-five through thirty-two. But um, I want to start out by setting the table with some backstory so that the passage can be taken in context to the bigger picture of why Paul wrote what he did in order for us to make a proper application in our lives. And um, so what's interesting is, um, you guys will be familiar with a lot of these verses, they're just straight up application, like, um, be angry and yet do not sin, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Uh all bitterness, anger, and clamor be put away from you. So um, you guys will be familiar with a lot of these words uh, in, in this passage. Um, but uh, what's interesting is um, last night I had this dream um, that was <clears throat> of, I mean, just, you know, when you wake up from a dream, you don't think it's odd, but then, you know, the next you wake up the next morning and you're like, that That was really weird. That doesn't even make sense. Uh, so, th- this passage is going to talk a lot about just relationships and how we interact with one another, okay? And actually, it's just kind of weird how uh, the setup, I mean, everything that David was talking about and the verses he was sharing, I mean, they're, you know, we didn't dialogue about. What I was going to share and then what he was going to share, but they, they, they were right on top of each other. And, uh, but my dream was for some reason, uh, I was buying a Volkswagen van, minivan. And I, I mean, I would never buy a Volkswagen minivan. I don't even, I think, I think they, I think they're making one now. Volkswagen is making a minivan. I think I saw an advertisement for one, but, Believe me, I'd, I'd never buy a Volkswagen minivan, and uh, so for some reason it, it was a really good deal or something, and so the guy was like, "Okay, I'll I'll sell it to you for this much," but and it was like in a showroom, okay, but but the 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 back taillight wasn't working, so he was going to give a discount, but in order to get the taillight fixed, he was saying like, "We can fix the taillight," you know. And before you, you know, take it off the lot here, but it's going to cost you $1,000. And I remember getting in an argument with him about $1,000. I mean, how can it be $1,000 to just repair the taillight before I buy it? I mean, who, who would engineer a vehicle to where it would cost that much to repair a taillight? And it was a heated argument. And, I mean... As I was preparing this message, you know, there, again, we're getting to that passage. It says, let all bitterness and anger and clamor and um, malice put these away. Well, the word clamor has to do with crying out, you know, raising your voice. And, and so when I woke up from the dream, I was like, huh, that's funny. I just had this dream about how I was shouting this guy down about, you know, $1,000 to repair the taillight on this Volkswagen minivan that I was going to buy, and I'm just sitting there thinking, that's just odd. So, anyway, um, let me get into the, the story here. Um, so, anyway, as I said, you know, we've been doing this just three-week mini series on Ephesians 4, and so um, since I've, you know... The guy who's been going last. I've been reading through it um, a lot, actually, because we talked about doing this uh, for a little while, and so I've been reading through it over and over again. And um, and I'll just be honest; it's it's been really sobering to me. Um, it's not it's not something that I've been joking about. Um, and because reading through it. Meditating on the passage, um, combined with the circumstances that have come into my life um, through the last several weeks, as I've just been focused on reading through this passage over and over again, um, has has made me become very sober because uh, you know it goes along with a lot of the things that David was sharing about humility and meekness and. And I'm going to talk about those things here, and these are things that um, we need God's power to live this way. And it's it's really very convicting and sobering if you um, to understand the bar or the standard that God is calling us to as a collective group of people to be His body. To live in such a way that we have this sacred oneness together—it's a very high bar. Um, so, um, so let's pray, Heavenly Father. I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would um, you would till up the soil of our hearts, Lord, and minds, to where we would um, the seed of your word that is shared, Lord, will. Um, take root and it will bear fruit Lord um, in our lives I pray that you would your word would have would work its purpose in each of our lives this morning and Lord we do need your grace as David was was sharing um, we need your power we need your help Lord uh, in every way Lord to live this way to to be a body that is united, um, to give you glory, to to be a demonstration to the world around us, Lord, um, of of what that looks like, um, and Father, I just uh, pray that you would help me to speak, Lord, what you would have me to speak, and and give everyone, Lord, uh, attentiveness and uh, just. Ah, so we need your grace this morning and your blessing on this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so let me talk about the book of Ephesians. This is something as I was studying this, it's, it's interesting. And, um, so this, the, this, uh, letter, you know, we call it the book of Ephesians, but this letter was written about the same time, um, as Colossians and the book of Philemon. And all are th- all three are, are believed to have been delivered by uh, Paul's companion Tychicus who was probably with him you know when he was in prison and then um, he sent him out to deliver these and I showed this map in, in Bible class hour where um, well you, you couldn't see it in the map but the Colossae was you know a little bit east of Ephesus and then there were these other uh, churches over there near that region okay um so, and you can see in Ephesians at the end, he he says, um, uh, to um, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He says the same thing in the book of Colossians. So Tychicus is hand-delivering this letter to, to these churches, and, and he's going to personally also give them information about how Paul's doing. Um, so um, now the in- interesting thing is this book of Ephesians that we call um, the book of Ephesians, or the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, um, it may not have been uh, written to the Ephesians it, um it may have been more of a circular letter to be read, but to more than one church. and later on it uh, was deemed Paul's letter to the book of the Ephesians. Um, so what kind of uh, different ones that I, you know, I was reading uh, have said is uh, what kind of gives clues to that is in most of Paul's letters to the churches, that he wrote, you know, would, he would have put things in there like terms of endearment, uh, to different people. He, he doesn't have that in here. And from the Bible class hour, we see that Paul spent probably more time in this church than any other church that he, um, that he spent time with. He probably spent a lot of time in Corinth, um, Philippi, but he spent a lot of time in this church as well. Um, and actually some of the earliest manuscripts do not have the words to the saints which are at Ephesus. Um, as well in this letter. Um, and the other thing that um, some of the scholars uh, say that why it might have been more of a circular letter uh, that was meant to be read to uh, a bunch of churches in the region is it doesn't focus on a particular crisis going on in that church, uh, like uh, the letter to the Colossians where he addresses Gnosticism um, that was going on there, or Galatia where he 's addressing a certain um, issue, um, either way, that being said, um, it is a letter that covers some major doctrines and principles for the church, and obviously it made its way to ephesus okay this, this, this letter obviously made its way to ephesus and 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 at some point um, it was uh, very highly um, given much weight by the Ephesian church, because uh, at some point, the uh, through church history, the Ephesians uh, adopted it as um, a letter to themselves. Um, so, anyway, uh, but uh, you, you could see where it could it could have been a circular letter, too, because it, it addresses just major doctrines um, and principles for the church and their application to day-to-day living, Um so anyway, um, but the book is basically laid out in two halves. The first three chapters lay out the conception of the unity of Christ and that he is God's instrument of reconciliation. And it's very uh, similar to the book uh, of the letter to the Colossians. And so if you would turn with me to Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, um, Paul is is making this statement about how everything is united in Christ. Um, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fulfillment of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And that's very, um, very much in line with the same thing that He's talking about in Colossians. And I'll just read this. It says, And through Him, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. So um, Paul talks about this in the first three chapters. He's just laying the groundwork that um, it was through Christ that all things that are in disarray and disorder, they're all united in Christ. I mean, things in heaven, things in earth, uh, things that are in disarray, that there's you know disorder between people. There's disorder between God and man. There's disorder in the heavenly places. There's disorder between, um, you know, the angels and the demons and uh, God and Satan. And, um, and uh, so uh, it's only through Christ that um, unity can take place. Um, so as a church is his instrument of reconciliation, I mean, to the world, Paul made the connection of the church as being his body. Um, so God's plan for the church is to bring about the unity and to be his instrument of reconciliation to the world. That's that's us. And then Paul makes this connection that we are his body. Um, so imagine your own body for a minute. I mean, um, I, at first when I was writing this down, I was like saying, I always had the thought that like God Uses this great and or Paul uses this great analogy to say that the church is like a body, but then as you look closer, say the church is like a body. That this, wow, what a great analogy Paul came up with. He says the church is Christ's body. You know, it's not an analogy. It's not a great word picture that he uses. He says the church is Christ's body, and Christ is the head. But when you think of your own body, <clears throat> you just you don't even think about it, right? Everything just works together, right? Like up here, I'm waving my arms and I'm talking and I don't even think about it. You know, I, I, if I want to walk back here, I walk back here. I don't, I'm not even thinking about it. Just all the members work seamlessly together. Um, when I'm ill, I just assume that everything's going to work. You know, if I stub my toe, my body's going to do whatever it does to send uh some numbing stuff to that toe to where it doesn't the pain isn't so bad that I can't stand it you know i mean it's just that's the way our bodies work now um sometimes our bodies don't work right i, I mean right and sometimes if our bodies don't work right and um you see people that like um their bodies don't work right, and let's just say that their knee is not working properly, and so that they start walking a certain way to compensate for the knee. Then what happens? Then they start getting back pain because they're overcompensating because they're a certain part of their body is not working right. Well, when he says that we are Christ's body, um. He's putting a lot of faith, right, in um, a group of sinners saved by God's grace to be his instrument of reconciliation to the world. And so how are we going to demonstrate to the world that we are the body of Jesus? Um, And this is what Paul spends the latter three chapters discussing in Ephesians. Um, Because, like I said, we don't have to think about it here. But we are a group of sinners saved by grace And we are his body, and we don't just, we're not just going to like, it's just not going to be automatic, okay? But the good news is, um, for those who are believers, we've been given a helper, and that's God himself, through the person of the Holy Spirit, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his voice, as, as he directs, as the head directs. And... Um, you know, you all know the passage in in Romans 12, you all know the passage in 1 Corinthians 12, I mean, different ones of us are different, different members, you know, we're fingers, we're toes, we're arms, we're legs, um, so, um, we're different parts of the body, and, um, and we must pray, um. It, it, you can tell here just from observation in the book of Ephesians. Again, I'm not to this passage yet, but just in, in, in the observation, not just the book of Ephesians, but all of these letters that Paul writes to these churches, he is praying for them a lot. He's like, whenever I remember you, I'm praying. And he's praying to the Ephesian church a lot. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father in, in Ephesians 3. Um, that you may be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I think Paul understands that it's a tall order that that we as a collective group of sinners saved by grace are going to uh, be a body that functions together to build itself up in love, and we need all the grace we can get. We need to be filled to the fullness of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit to in order to, um, to accomplish that. Um, and that prayer leads us into chapter 4. Um, so, I want to start by looking into chapter 4 here, and um, as we're going through these things, think of our calling to be, as Ephesians 4 says, one body with one hope, yet many members building itself up in love. Um, so, just, if you can turn to Ephesians 4, I'm probably going to stick there the rest of the time here. Um, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I'm just going to spend just, just a minute with these four virtues that he talks about. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, our calling is to be one body with one hope. And later on, it talks about how we're many members working together to build itself up, the body, in, in love. So um, <clears throat> back to how Paul was praying for these people that we'd be strengthened um, with through his spirit. Uh, with strength and power and uh, back to David's point about needing God's grace. And what did, what did God say about his grace? That he is able to make all grace abound so that always having all sufficiency in everything, we may have an abundance for every good work. Um, so as I talk about these words, um, think about this. And this is what was sobering to me as I was studying this out and preparing this. This word humility here, um, this is what it looks like to, to, to walk in a manner worthy, with all humility, gentleness, patience, and love. This word has the idea of lowliness of mind and attitude because of its own self-awareness compared to a perfect standard. And that perfect standard is Jesus. So it's not, um, in fact, um, it's interesting um Back in the day, this word was not seen you know by the Greeks or the Romans as a a word that was like oh that's a you know that's a great virtue you know it that that was like looked down on so um people didn't like i mean yeah i mean even today, probably people would look down on it i mean you know being proud and arrogant and cocky in the world is 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 to be better than to be humble um but if we compare ourselves with the standard of Jesus, not comparing ourselves with one another, this is what this idea of humility has to do with, comparing ourselves with Jesus' standard. Um, um, this word gentleness, this word has the idea of always being at the midpoint between being too angry and never being angry enough. Um, one who is stirred by indignation at the wrongs and sufferings of others, but is never moved to anger by any personal wrongs and insults. Um, in other words, it's like um, a domesticated animal that is powerful, but their power is under control. Like imagine if you had a, a pit bull living in your house. You knew you, That pit bull knows it could attack anybody at any time and just tear them apart. But it never does because it's always under control, and that's this idea that this word gentleness. other translations use the word meekness it's the same it's the same word it's so it's having it's a person it's not that you don't have instincts and passions anymore, but they are under God's control, okay you you still feel these passions, you still feel these instincts and but they're under God's control, and you're meek I mean you Someone offends you and you just want to, but you don't. Um, patience. This word is extremely convicting. This word has the spirit of being so long-suffering with others that it refuses to retaliate. It has the power to take revenge, but never does. So if you can get a picture of this, it's like the puppy, you know, You. If you have an old dog in your home, it's big, you bring this little puppy home, that puppy is always like nipping and yapping at the big dog. And you know that the big dog is just like, you know, one snap of the jaw could just like put that puppy in its place. But the old big dog just is like, whatever, could you just leave me alone? You know, that that big dog is, is demonstrating patience. He's just letting that little puppy just bother him all day long and he doesn't use his force to retaliate and just crush the little puppy okay and uh, this word is used of God many times this is this is frankly how God has so much patience with us he saves us and um, and he even just gives us grace upon grace um, and then the word love this is this is just... I mean, humility, meekness, patience, and love. I'm going to read this definition of love. It's hard to get your head around. The real meaning of agape is unconquerable benevolence. Okay, let me try to explain that, because it's, it's very, two big words together. Too many big words for me. Okay, unconquerable, can't be conquered, Benevolence, you know, just kindness beyond, you know, huge kindness. So kindness that cannot be conquered by anything that another person can do to compel me to not be kind in return. In other words, say someone is just like in your face, in your face, in your face. Um, they can never do that enough to tip the scale for your benevolence to run out, okay? It it is unconquerable. It is, your benevolence is so greater on the scale that it cannot be conquered, okay? Does that make sense? It cannot be conquered. That's, That's this word agape. If we regard people with agape, it means that nothing that they can do, will make us seek anything but their highest good. Even if they hurt us and insult us, we will never feel anything but kindness towards them. That quite clearly means that this Christian love is not an emotional thing. This agape is a thing not only of the emotions but also of the will. It is the ability to retain unconquerable goodwill towards the unlovely and the unlovable, towards those who do not love us, and even towards those whom we do not like. Agape is that quality of mind and heart which compels Christians never to feel any bitterness, never to feel any desire for revenge, but always to seek the highest good of absolutely everyone. So this is, this is the bar. This is the bar that God has called us to, and it's a high bar. This is where we need to be praying. We, we can't do this in our own power. We cannot do this in our own power. Um, and this is eager to maintain the unity. I, I think of that word as sacred oneness. It's a sacred oneness. It's um, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Peace being harmony and right relationships with one another. Um, I think for the sake of time, I will just read this quote. Um, I wanted to put it up on the screen, but I'm not going to mess with it. Okay. <clears throat> this is a quote from, I think his name is William Barclay. It says, this oneness, this peace, and these right relationships can be preserved only in one way. Every one of the four great Christian virtues, which I just talked about, humility, meekness, love, and patience. Every one of the four great Christian virtues depends on the obliteration of self. This is why I wanted to put it up on the screen, because I just wanted everyone to see that. As long as self is at the center of things, this oneness can never fully exist. In a society where self predominates, people cannot form anything but a disintegrated collection of individualistic and warring units. But when self dies and Christ springs to life within our hearts, then comes the peace, the oneness which is the great hallmark of the true church. Okay, so the key is obliteration of self. Um, and I think it's interesting that that, that verse, um, and I, I don't remember where it is, but you guys are probably familiar with it, it says like, um, uh, I, I, I'm just thinking of the phrase in my head, it says, um, as long as it depends on you, does anyone remember where? Um be at peace with one another, okay does anyone no, what 's that as Li- much as yeah, yeah, as much as lies within you, and I think another translation is as, as long as it depend, as yeah as much as it depends on you, as much as lies within you, be at peace, live peaceably with all men, so I mean as much as lies within you is obliterating yourself out of the equation that 's one way of uh, that you know I mean I think of the, the reason why this is so difficult is because why? because there are times that like um- i don 't know about you, but what 's one of the hardest things that like you 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 struggle with um for me it's it's feeling misunderstood okay um it's um people taking your words out of context right um and part of that's feeling misunderstood, or um, just yeah, it's just things that you think that you're doing in a certain way, and someone takes it the wrong way. And um, there's just a number of things to where like um, uh, you could get offended about. You could you could, but but that's why these verses just. Um, and studying this and thinking through this, it's it's these are difficult things. These are difficult things that take the power of God to live this way in relationships, to have this sacred oneness together. Okay, so now with that as a starting point, I don't mean starting point like I'm going to be here for another hour, but for everyone in the church, what is God's plan? Okay, so um, I'll just kind of go through this real quick. God's plan is the rest of Ephesians 4 that had been gone through so far. His plan is that we be equipped, okay, um, uh, that we do the work of the ministry, that we strive for these three things together, unity, which I called sacred oneness, increasing in the knowledge of Jesus, and growing more Christ-like. That's in those passages that have been gone over and that everyone do their part if any part of the body is not doing its part then the body will not be growing and building itself up in love according to God's desire and i'm you know i'm kind of going to not take too much time to go through that but that's in all these verses here about you know being as far as like the being equipped what i liked as i was looking up some you know uh what that meant uh, i think uh, a couple of weeks ago david was talking about being prepared like a soldier some other um uh, words that it was using in the context of the day was like it had the idea of to set a broken limb or joint like a doctor setting setting uh you know your your bone back in place or to mend a net or to put a thing into a condition in which it ought to be so what what was interesting about that is like it talks about God gave the church apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers to equip Okay, so um, you know how how do, do we how do we uh, right now are are we doing that here? Um, and we're continually praying about like you know was there better ways? And, and but to if you think in terms of like mending a net or to put a thing into a condition in which it ought to be, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, um, which is. Encouraging, serving, loving, giving, meeting needs, all the one another, spreading the gospel, discipleship. Um, how are we equipping? That's really availing yourself of all the equipping opportunities, which, you know, is like here this morning, life group times, men's Bible study, women's Bible studies, one-on-one times with one another. And, and just so you know, it's not just it's not just. I mean, it talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I mean, there are people in this congregation who have gifts that God gave, and um, uh, I I don't believe that I am you know have the gift of evangelism, but some of you might. Some of you might be have words to speak like you know like like a prophet uh, where uh, David was you know mentioning of just you know speaking the word of God to someone. And so, so you can be equipping one another in that way. I, I know that like there's been people in my life in churches that they weren't one of the pastors, but um, I remember uh, when Jim Dixon used to go to church here. Um, I don't know how many of you guys remember him. Whenever I would talk to that guy, he was always taught. He might've had the gift of evangelism. That guy used to talk about people. He was reaching out to people and I was just stirred up. I was just stirred up for evangelism every time I talked to him because he, he had such a compassionate heart for the lost, and he was talking about people that he was actually David Painter, I think. Sometimes uh, is in that category too. I'm stirred up with um, his his compassion for the lost, and and that's what I'm saying. I mean, these are gifts that like we need to employ in the church and be equipped with people, not just. Not just guys up here, you know. And um so anyway, do the work of the ministry, strive for these things together, and everyone doing their part. Okay, so, and then what will hinder us from walking in a manner worthy, from the living this way? Okay, well, Eric touched on that in the second week. Living like we used to before becoming Christians, where he says, don't live like the Gentiles do. Put that off and put on Christ. Or allowing, now that we are Christians, allowing worldliness to pollute our lives to the extent that we have no fire for the things of God anymore. And what's interesting is um, our hearts and minds will turn into a petrified state where we have no feeling, that is, where we can become apathetic or we simply don't care um, and, and you can see that. You know, I shared this in the Bible class hour, but when God spoke to the Ephesian church in Revelation, he said, but you've lost your first love. And what did he tell them to do? It wasn't rocket science. He just said, start doing the things you did at the first. Repent and start doing the things you did at the first. Um, and um, go back to the basics. Um, start reaching out to people. Start um, confessing your sins to one another. Um, start being transparent to one another in your lives um, because you don't want your, li- your hearts to become calloused. Like it says that will happen like the Gentiles, calloused where you don't even have feeling anymore like a petrified tree. Okay, so what will enable us to walk in a manner worthy? Okay, so I'm going to, Try to go through these quickly, and now I'm um, in this passage. But like I said, they're they're very straightforward, so it doesn't take too much time. So, verse twenty-five. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Well, one is, and I think this is huge. And um, the Ephesian church, it talks about when God was blessing them, and. Um, that they were open and transparent with each other. They were confessing their sins with one another. Um, Number one, stop putting on a front with each other, because we are members of one another, okay? Stop putting on a front with each other. Um, In Bible class hour, I shared the one thing that was recorded in the book of Acts about the Ephesian church that they did, in which after that it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That one thing was that they were being open and transparent with each other, confessing their sins to one another and repenting before God with each other. And James even says, "Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed." Um, we need to get beyond um, this hiding of our lives. Um, there's no. There's no. I mean, it, it would be like it'd be like my. Um, I have gangrene, you know, from the knee down and, and that portion of my body not wanting to send that signal to the rest of my body and saying like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that hidden and then, you know, and I'm gonna die, and then I'm gonna die. Whereas if it would have been open about it, I could get my leg cut off and, and, and live with a, you know, a a stump or something or, or a, uh, whatever they call it. Prosthetic, the rest of my life, and, and live, you know, twenty more years. But if 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 my leg doesn't send a signal, to the rest of the members of my body, then then I'm going to die. Okay, I mean, so so that's what that's what this is talking about. Put away falsehood. Um, why did God bless this, the Ephesian church? Because we are one body. Um, God will not be mocked. Um, he says, do not be deceived in Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked. We are his body. And if one member of his body, this is what is hard for us to, to, I think it's just so easy for us to go in our, in our minds. I'm just, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling in this area and I don't really need to, I don't need to share that with anybody. It's you know it's not it's not affecting anything. Okay, that's that's the lie of the devil. Okay, um, but Galatians six seven says God said, "I will not be mocked." Um, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I mean, His word is true. We are His body, and if one member of His body is out of sorts, it is affecting the rest of the body. It's that simple okay, it just is, okay, so um, just don't believe that lie, and I think what's interesting, that's why it goes on to say, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. A body can only function healthily if each part is passing true messages to the head, you know, in our physical bodies, the same is true in the church. We as human beings all have blind spots, and if we are having the four virtues that we talked about earlier, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, we should, with our goal being to build up the body in love, be willing to receive the truth and give the truth to others in order to live lives that bring the most glory to God. And um, we should be a people, if we're really walking in those four qualities, we should be a people that are approachable, okay? I mean, if we're Humble and meek and patient and loving. People wouldn't have to have the feeling that if they wanted to speak the truth to us about some blind spot in our life, they're going to get, you know, their head chopped off. And, and we should be able to feel like we could approach someone if we are exhibiting those qualities. Um, okay, so the next thing about be angry— And do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Um, I don't know why that's right after this verse. It might be that if this church is speaking the truth to one another, there could be a tendency, you know, as anyone speaks the truth to you, that you could feel angry because you're like, initially, ah, I don't like that. There's some truth in that. And it hurts. <clears throat> I think of that, I, I, this is my understanding of this verse, and, you know, could be wrong, could, you know, I don't know, but my understanding of this verse is it's more like, I see anger as an alarm system that God gave us, okay? Uh, a sensor, And um, I, th- I think of this more as like, we are going to experience anger, okay? This is, I, I, I see that, We're going to experience anger, and we need to use it as an alarm system, so that when it happens, we can either handle it uh, in, in a right way or a wrong way. And here are some right ways that we can handle it. Okay, when we sense when our sensor, our alarm goes off of anger, we can ask ourselves, "Did I do anything to cause this?" Okay, did I do anything to cause this? Or what are the things within my control that I could change to alleviate this from happening again? Okay, sometimes, I, I, I actually, the majority of the time that I'm angry, it's because I'm just uh, not disciplined in my life, and so this thing keeps happening. And I'm there's things within my control that I'm not changing to alleviate things from happening, and so I, I, I get angry. Uh, at circumstances, but I'm the one really bringing them upon myself. Um, and then finally, if you're going through that filter and you determine that, like, I, I didn't, I don't, God, I'm praying. I don't feel like I was the cause of any of this. W- what's the What's the end result? You know, we're going to get to the the last verses, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. It's an opportunity. To demonstrate Jesus Christ to someone, okay. What are some wrong ways to to when that sensor goes off to handle it? Blame somebody else, okay. Um, use facial expressions to get someone's attention to show displeasure. Um, manipulate with silent treatment. Retaliate with unkind words. Um, okay, I think of um, okay some of the commentaries talk about do not give the devil an opportunity. This was interesting. Um, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not let give the devil an opportunity. Either one of these works, to be honest with you. If you think about it, when you're angry, if you don't get something right that day, um, you know that devil, the devil plants a seed and bitterness starts taking root right at that point. I mean, it. that's my experience anyway. I mean, I'm sure you guys have experienced that. And if you don't address it, if you don't get it right, if you don't handle things um, through either communicating or, or forgiving or whatever, um, a root of bitterness can start. And so that's why I believe it says to take care of it in that day, to not give the devil an opportunity. Um, But I don't know if you knew this, but another uh, word for uh, the devil uh, back then was the word slander. And so some commentaries say that Paul might have been saying, like, don't give opportunity for slander. And what's interesting there, from my experience too, is what happens a lot of times when people are angry? They, first thing they do is like, Get on the phone and start, that person did this to me, and, you know, I'm just blah, 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 blah. Well, as soon as that starts happening, the gossip change starts happening, and then you got all these other people taking up an offense for something that was between you and another person, and now they're all in the loop, which they shouldn't even be in the loop at all, okay? Um, And they're being offended for you against somebody else when it should just, be a, two people addressing the situation. So um, it should be none of no one else's business at that point. Okay, i am um, just be real quick here. Thieves, he says, uh, become honest workers. And what's interesting back in that day is it wasn't just thieves, stop stealing. He goes the extra mile of thieves, stop stealing, and become an honest worker, not only so that you can support yourself, but so that you can give give money to help others in need. Okay. Um, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up to as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Um, Other translations use the word unwholesome talk, corrupt communication, unwholesome words, harmful words um, that it may give grace. So just, This is, again, this is a high bar, a high standard. No. No unwholesome talk. No corrupting talk. Uh, I mean, imagine if we really were a people that only talked in a way where we had this motive to just build up people, to not tear down, okay? Unwholesome words are words tear down, not build up. That it may give grace, only for building up. That it may give grace, be a blessing uh, to those who hear. Can you imagine that if we if we talk that way to each other and to people around us, it would be supernatural. Okay, it is supernatural. Um, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. My thought on that is, um, when my, my thought there is grieving the Holy Spirit of God is like, it's like if you're, if your kids are, are, are teenagers and you as a parent are like, hey, you know, I, I, I'm counseling you. I, I, I want you to do this, um, and they're like, not doing that. I'm doing this. I need you to be home by midnight uh, because we know that after midnight, you know, we we have reason for you to be home by midnight because we think things after midnight are going to get out of hand. And then they get home at 3 in the morning. Okay? That grieves the parents. Okay? Um, in the same way, It says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, don't. The Holy Spirit is, you you all know in your lives when when God is speaking to you and is like, "Mm, Don't do this. Don't say that thing. Don't say that thing that you know is going to tear down, but it's going to make me feel good right now. I I, I want to say it. I'm going to say it. You know, and then the Holy Spirit is grieved. Um, Okay let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. okay, just briefly, bitterness is, is basically long-standing resentment and this is this is bad stuff guys this is bad stuff and um, uh, if we if we are if we are holding long-standing resentment towards people, this is like nursing anger to keep it warm, just brooding over insults and injuries and stoking the fires of bitterness, then we are basically asking God to remain opposed to us. And that's a bad place to be. Um, This needs to be put away. Um, Wrath really is just passionate outbursts of anger. Anger is just this long-lived anger, this Almost like you're uh, simmering at, at a level. And what's sad is I, I know what all of this feels like. I mean, and I'm sure that you all know what all of this feels like because we're, we're, we're sinners saved by grace and we, we've experienced this clamor. I talked about shouting and loud talking. Slander is just. In, injurious talk i mean it's 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 talking about people to basically tear down their reputation or to bring them down um malice is having a heart where you desire to really injure someone with words um but instead be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god and christ forgave you and that has to do with um having this just a compassionate, loving, um, benevolent spirit about you, uh, this graciousness about you um, with one another, which is really the answer to not communicating with, with people in all these other ways. So we just need to pray that we would be, this, this last verse, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And that's, that's the key is just to keep remembering how God is to us and praying that God would, would empower us to be like that to other people around us, um, to supernaturally live those qualities through our lives to those around us, and if we live that way, to the degree that we live that way, is to the degree of the unity we will have among each other, and to the degree that the world around us will will see something supernatural taking place in this church and, and just being like, I, "I don't know what's going on there, but I can't explain it." And I think that's what was happening in Ephesus. I think it was happening in Colossians when Paul talks about like, you know, I, I just I hear about your love for the saints." And um, he was applauding that. And um, so that's, that's God's standard. It's a high bar. It's a high standard. Um, but I'm so glad that God gave it to us. I'm glad that God showed it to us what it is. Um, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for ourselves, pray for one another. And um, just ask for his grace and mercy and help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are just... I mean, your your, your ways are, as you said, so much higher than our ways. They're just... They're unbelievable. And uh, Heavenly Father... We absolutely need you in every way to um, to live according to these words that we looked at this morning, Father. We need your supernatural power. We need the power of your Spirit. We need your strength. We need your grace, Lord. I just ask that we would that you prompt us to pray for one another because these things are sobering. They're hard. They're in the flesh. I dare say they're almost impossible. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us today, this week, weeks to come, Lord, to be a people that could uh, exemplify this and uh, that we might be able to be like the Ephesian church, that you are able to do, be able to work through a people that is living that way, Lord. And just, God, I just pray that especially our hearts would be teachable to you and soft to you, Lord, first and foremost. And then, Lord, that we could... Um, have this kind, tender-hearted spirit, forgiving spirit towards one another. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.